Hi everyone, and welcome to the second half of the Ask Eve All About Porn episode. In the first episode, I went over a lot of things like history of porn and um, kind of some of the facts that maybe people didn't know. So in this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the more abstract ideas and emotional issues and, and questions that I've received from people about this. So as always, <laughs> these are just my opinions, except in the case of medical or historical facts. So where should we begin? I think maybe what I'll do this time is I will actually read out the questions that I get so that it can give you some sort of context as to where we're going and, and uh, kind of anchors all of this for us. So the first question, these are all going to be anonymous, by the way, so don't panic. The first question is, why is mainstream porn so fake and distant? Why is it devoid of context and deliberately fake and so formulaic? Shouldn't it strive to be immersive and to capture and convey emotions? Where are the insecurities that are being washed away? Where are inhibitions that someone is anxious and excited to break free of? Where is a sense of giving yourself over or claiming your lover emotionally, not just by mechanically roughing up some tiny thing? And where is a sense of exploration? Where is hunger and passion rather than mere roughness that poses as passion? Where is the slowly escalating tenderness? Now, I just love this question because it manages to sum up quite neatly everything that most people believe is wrong with mainstream porn. So we're going to take a closer look at this. I do want to say before I go any further, just for the record, I have no issue with porn. I am not an anti-porn crusader. I don't believe there's anything morally wrong with it. I don't think people shouldn't watch it. Nothing like that. I don't have any um, prejudices or reasons for thinking that um, we should we shouldn't watch it or consume it. Not at all. I just think that something that affects us all so much, something that most of us consume in some way, some form, should be given a little more thought than it is. Most people kind of like to sweep it under the carpet. And so I think if there are issues with it, which there will be with anything, I think it deserves actually talking about it, having some open discussion, and not being afraid to say, this may be wrong, and here's why we think it is. And this is maybe what we can do about it. Things like that. So I'm not against porn by any means. <laughs> okay, so just to get back to uh, the question. So the answer that you'll hear most often about why porn is the way it is, is this. It's because this is what most men want, right? Porn is a gazillion dollar a year industry, blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't produce it if it didn't sell right? You've probably heard that. But see, to me, I suspect it's more the other way around. And this is just my opinion, but I think it sells because they produce it. I mean, think about how porn began. As I mentioned in the first part of this episode, in the early days of porn, it was a miracle to find anyone willing to have sex on film. So you basically accepted what you were given. And it didn't really change all that much all through the decades that followed, because sexual morality didn't change all that much. The performers in the decades that followed weren't really the most beautiful or well-endowed people you've ever seen. They were reasonably attractive, but that's about as far as it went. 
And in the early days of porn, the sex was pretty, you know, vanilla, as they say. Standard fare, you know, sucking and fucking. <laughs> a few interesting positions, maybe some lesbian stuff. A little bit of anal stuff, maybe, but nothing really crazy. I mean, it didn't really get crazy, you know? And the reason for this was that it was simply exciting enough to be able to watch real sex on film. It was enough. I know it's hard to imagine these days when you have every kind of sex available to you just at the click of a mouse. I know it's hard to imagine, but if you can try to imagine what it was like when there was nothing, when you wouldn't even see nudity, never mind sex, um, it was a completely different world. So the girls didn't have to be stunning. The men didn't have to be anacondas. It was titillating enough on its own. Someone once told me, actually, that his 80-year-old grandfather came to his cousins, so his, you know, his other grandsons, stag party, and saw his first ever porno at 80. And the guy was utterly gobsmacked at watching this rather tame blowjob scene from the way it was described to me. He just couldn't, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. He had been married to one woman his whole life, and she had never given him a blowjob because he just you know, didn't do that. So to watch someone doing it to a virtual stranger on film was one of the most shocking things this guy had ever seen. He really couldn't, he really couldn't cope with it. So, you know, and think about the first Playboy centerfold you ever saw. I mean, maybe it was hidden in your dad's garage or under your brother's bed, or maybe you found it out in the woods. That's where I found my first one was out in the woods. But um, it was like finding a hidden treasure. You know, you, you'd sort of cherished it, you gazed at it, you thanked the gods for bringing this bounty into your life. You didn't look at it and think, well, I really prefer brunettes, and this girl's boobs are a little too big for my liking. Maybe if she were a little narrower in the waist, you know, I don't really like her pubic hair. I mean, there is no way anyone ever did that. It just, you just stared at this gorgeous naked woman and you thought, oh my God, it's good to be alive, you know? That's the way it was. So. When porn and video porn began to take off, of course, you had legions of guys snapping it up. They bought it all. I mean, they bought everything they could get their hands on. It was just crazy. It made the porn producers a lot of money. A lot. So the porn producers naturally wanted to make more porn, to make even more money. And like any growth industry, they looked at what was selling and opted to make more of it. But here's my question. Was it really accurate to say that meaningless sex between strangers was what consumers really wanted? Or was it more accurate to say that meaningless sex between strangers was what was available and consumers bought it in the absence of having any other choice? I'm not saying I have all the answers at all. I think it's just worth considering. Maybe this kind of pornography, cheaply made, easy to film, starring whomever you could get, was was just the only kind of porn that was out there at the time, and that's why it sold so well. It's possible. And maybe that's why, as time went on, and porn producers wanted to come up with more and better films to reach even more people, that they sort of stayed true to the basic formula. You know, why stray too far from something that has supposedly worked so well for you? You might start hiring better-looking stars or investing in better you know, cameras or sets or editors or whatever, but you, but are you really going to reinvent the wheel? You know, you're going to stick with what works, basically.
And if you believe that what attracts people to your videos is the meaninglessness, the seediness, the idea of being naughty or dirty or filthy, then you're going to want to do more of it. You'll want to come up with more and more sensational things, more outrageous acts, more depravity, more filth. I mean, truthfully, you know, there wasn't a lot of scat, water sports, bestiality videos in the 70s and 80s. There were some, obviously, but this has really only arrived relatively recently as producers try to lure in more and more viewers with more and more depravity and certainly more and more taboo subjects. I mean, BDSM in the 50s was kind of like Betty Page stuff. It was relatively harmless, you know, it was really kind of cute. She thought it was a joke. It was it was kind of cute, as opposed to some of the truly disturbing stuff you can find through any Google search these days. Even just the mainstream BDSM stuff that's completely consensual and cool and no problem. That is a far cry from what it started out as. Porn actresses, as little as, say, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, actually wrote into their contracts that they would never be required to do anal. And ass-to-mouth was absolutely not done. And yet you can't be a porn star these days without doing these things. I mean, we've gone from being blown away by simple blowjobs to now expecting to see threesome scenes of girls eating cum out of each other's asses. I mean, this is like a huge leap for us. And I'm just going to say this just as an aside. This is why I refuse to call sex dirty or filthy or depraved or any of those things. Because when you view sex like this, even when you use words with uh, unpleasant or immoral connotations to describe it um, in a complimentary way, you are essentially introducing the concept of shame into the realm of sex. I, I mean, I'm probably going to have to address this whole area in another audio because there's just so much to it. And there are so very many people who really cling to the idea that sex has to be wrong to be any good. But for now, all I will say is this. In my opinion, the dirtier that you think sex is, the dirtier and dirtier porn will become until there is nothing to watch but the most outrageously squicky stuff. So <laughs> I think now we're, we're starting to see people willing to speak up a bit and say, okay, that stuff might work for some people, but as a single person just trying to fill my sexual needs until I can be with a partner, I'd rather see something closer to what I'm hoping to experience. A lot of men say to me through messages and conversations that they want to imagine sex with someone they love or at least like <laughs> and they will never want to do some of the things like what they see or hear in in porn these days so you know where's the so-called vanilla sex where's the passionate sex between two people who are into each other which is what more and more people seem to be saying they want as the asker of the question put it, where are the insecurities that are being washed away? Where are the inhibitions that someone is anxious and excited to break free of? Where's a sense of giving yourself to a lover emotionally, you know? And the answer is, it just isn't in mainstream porn. Not really. Because, again, porn producers don't think that this is what the majority wants to see, and so they don't produce it. And since consumers will keep consuming whatever is put in front of them, basically, the false belief is that this truly is what consumers want, and it keeps getting perpetuated. It's a vicious circle. You end up with people who think that this is what they want, 
And yet when they watch this kind of thing and jerk off to it, they end up feeling empty, lonely, remorseful, you know, generally bad about themselves afterwards. And I think it's because there hasn't been a single, you know, uplifting, positive, or emotionally satisfying moment in the whole experience. In fact, it's been just the opposite. I think this is what can lead to the phenomenon of porn addiction, which um, most people who suffer from it will admit is a pretty awful thing to experience. It's not about watching a lot of porn. I mean, that can be part of it, but it's about being completely unable to have any kind of normal sex with a real person, no matter how attractive they are or how much you want to have sex with them. I tend to believe, without being an expert on this <laughs> at all, that this kind of behavior comes from continually equating the pleasure of an orgasm with the depravity and sensationalism of modern porn. I think when you train your body to respond to and orgasm to things that are sold to you as shameful, wrong, nasty, etc., then it can become more difficult for you to find pleasure in having, you know, quote, normal sex with a person you care about and respect. Someone you don't think is shameful, wrong, or nasty, you know? <sighs> the trouble, too, is that no one dares to really classify what is healthy and unhealthy sexually, especially in, you know, medical terms, because we've seen the harm that's done by classifying homosexuality as a mental disorder, for example, and by trying to shame people. So it's far more common to hear anything goes these days. But I don't know if that's doing us any favors either frankly. I think providing young people with limitless porn, but giving them absolutely no guidelines about it, no context, no sense of what porn is and what it isn't, I think that just leads to a lot of very confused people who end up seeking more and more outrageous stuff and all the, the dangers that can come with that. Just, here's just one small example, okay? And if, if you're squeamish, don't listen, okay? This is Eve telling you, Honey, just go do something else, because you're not going to want to hear this. There are parties that people go to in which, as part of the festivities, men get themselves castrated. And of course, they're filmed doing it. Usually their balls are taken out of your scrotum and kind of crushed on a table or something using various implements. Um, no anesthetic or anything like that. I'm assuming that there's sexual gratification for people who are into this, I, I'm assuming. But just imagine the consequences of taking a sexual thrill this far. It really boggles my mind. There are huge medical, emotional, psychological, even legal consequences to something like this. And yet it continues to happen. And I have to believe that it's because somehow these men have let their kinks escalate out of control. It's not to say that all kinks can lead to bad things, of course not, and not all bad consequences are that extreme, but the pattern is always the same, like with any kind of addiction. You need more and more all the time, and eventually it can take over your life. So, anyway, <laughs> another kind of related question I received. I'm going to read this. So, why so rough? Whenever there is a tiny moment of tenderness, it's almost like that was accidental whereas slapping, choking, etc. are par for the course. Is there an inherent misogyny at play here? Does sex need a component of degradation? Slapping or spitting someone in the face or this weird new thing of stepping on a girl's face, those things aren't giving and taking, they're just degrading. 
So that was the comment or the question. So first of all, I won't comment on the issue of misogyny because it is just too big a discussion for this audio and too fraught with difficulty to handle well even then. But I will say that just in my opinion, porn is not the woman hating evil that a lot of its opponents claim it is. And I don't believe that all depictions of rough handling, etc., are geared towards degrading women. Not at all. However, it's not to say that there aren't real issues with hardcore porn. It's just that most of them have more to do with how you, the consumer, feels about it and about yourself after consuming it. I've listened to some of the harder stuff on GWA, some of the stuff that I really don't like, just to hear the differences. And the biggest difference I've noticed may not even be an intentional one. It's just that it's something that's shared by visual porn, and that is the ending, or rather the lack of one. Hardcore porn usually gets started pretty quickly, unless the whole, you know, watch me walk around the pool with my oiled up ass cheeks jiggling, you know, is, is part of the deal. Um, and so hardcore audio does usually too. And this I think is because the consumer of it is already in the red zone of horniness and pretty much ready to pop, you know? And uh, so he or she doesn't want a whole lot of buildup. This is just what I think again, okay? Please don't write in as, you know, as Craig Ferguson says, don't write in. Um, but the more impactful thing I think is that these scenarios, both visual and audio, they end abruptly with the male orgasm. There's usually no more talking, no wind down, maybe just a bit of heavy breathing, and then the recording just cuts off. And the inescapable implication is, you came, it's over. You can just wipe all this from your mind, pretend it never happened, close your browser, whatever, you know, just get rid of it quick and move on with your life. There's no reason to keep listening to or watching porn after he comes, right? <laughs> That seems to be the prevailing wisdom, anyway. But the reason that this can be a problem is because of the disconnect between the two very real realities that bombard the listener's brain during something like this. You go from listening to or watching something that is truly outrageous or taboo, in which the most extreme images or ideas are isolated and glorified in order to bring you to orgasm, and then very suddenly you are sent back to the real world where you're a real human being again, a normal person, someone who thinks about other things besides sex, someone who really doesn't want to fuck your sister or rape someone in the parking lot or get tied up like a turkey or whatever, you know? You're alone and the context is gone and you're no longer horny and you feel utterly lost and likely ashamed of yourself and lonely too. I've I've heard this from so many guys, and from quite a few women, too. There's an empty feeling that comes over you after you come to porn. Once the physical pleasure fades, it's almost like you wake up out of a trance and you can't believe you just watched or listened to that, you know? You can't believe you just lost your mind there for a minute, and you were so horny that you enjoyed something that you don't even want to like. You know, so you clean yourself up, you erase your history, you close down all the live jasmine pop-up windows that pretend to be talking to you, you know, and you try to go do something else to soothe yourself until the next time you get horny and the cycle starts all over again. Now, for some people, this kind of quickie, this kind of quick come, does really serve a real purpose. 
They get off and they get on with their day. Great. It's definitely not a problem for everyone. I just, I want to make that clear. If you enjoy these quick fixes, then good for you. Great. I'm talking about the people for whom this is a real problem. With my audios, I try to never just end them. Even if it's only a few seconds or minutes of talking or sounds or cuddling or laughing or, or whatever. And I do it because I know that what happens immediately after sex or masturbation is just as important as what happens during it. Taking the time to ease someone back into real life after a sexual fantasy is very important. I did uh, one audio called Afterglow, in which most of it takes place after the listener jerks off and comes. And I did it just so I could continue the fantasy of being there, of talking and whispering and falling asleep and making it clear that masturbation is perfectly fine and that you didn't just drop out of the human race for a few minutes there, you know? I, I know that for a lot of people who like BDSM, for example, the aftercare is a huge part of the experience. And that's a really, really good thing. I think erotic audio has the unique ability to reach people in this way. And I'm really glad when I hear others doing audios like this, both men and women. I enjoy male sounds and noises very much. <laughs> oh yes, very much. But, <laughs> but I also, I have to say, I love the audios in which he hangs around and, you know, supposedly talks to me like afterwards, so to speak as though we're a real couple. It kind of anchors it for me. And I know it does for other people too. So the bottom line, when watching visual porn, if the sense of emptiness is a problem for you, spend some time seeking out other types of porn that pay more attention to feelings and sensations. For example, if you ever see a category on any kind of tube site or, or porn hub called, um, you know, female friendly or uh, porn for women, whatever, check that out. You might be very, very surprised at how hot some of these videos are. And that the only real difference is that there's a little more eye contact and maybe a little more gentleness and sometimes a very real sense of connection between the partners. It's not all, you know, sappy roses and lovemaking. It's not what it is if it says it's female friendly. Not at all. One of my favorite sites for this is danejones.com, D-A-N-E-J-O-N-E-S.com. I'm not an affiliate or anything like that. I just think it's a great site that focuses on really high quality, high definition, beautifully shot porn with an emphasis on how great sex is and how much better it can be when there is some sense of connection between the partners. It's Again, it's not sappy or strictly vanilla. I mean, they do lots of different things, but I think the way they approach it sets it apart from most other porn sites. Now, they are owned by a large company that produces every kind of porn under the sun, so they're not making a moral statement here. They're just providing this kind of porn for the consumer who wants something a little more intimate and, I would say, a little more emotional. So if you have any other similar sites that you like or know about, please comment. Let others know about it, okay? I, I think this is really important. Okay, um, someone asked me, what is the difference between erotica and porn? Is it just subjective? Okay, the difference, in my opinion, uh, I have to say is a tough question to answer. I would say generally, to me, and 
this is just a loose distinction. The difference is that porn focuses solely on a sex act meant to inspire an orgasm. Whereas erotica, um, well, it, it can often do the same thing, it just seems to involve more of the viewer's mind, their fantasies, their attitudes, their attraction to certain imagery and meaning. But again, these are just loose distinctions, especially nowadays. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is considered erotica, and yet it's basically a dom-sub sex story that would have been considered porn, right out porn, only a few years ago. The other thing to keep in mind is this. Why is it important to you to have a distinction at all? I think the fact that we have different words for it and the fact that we're always seeking distinct definitions of the two reveals a lot about how we think about this. We clearly believe that porn, the word, is, and maybe <laughs> the whole subject, is, is too seedy, too shameful, too dirty, etc., to describe things of beauty or acts of lovemaking. You know, we separate kinds of artistic sex in our minds, and porn is used to describe the basest, the cheesiest, the grossest, the most devoid of character and value. Whereas erotica, you know, sounds a little classier. It's like sex refined, you know. Erotica is a fine French wine, and porn is like Bud Light, you know. But my point is, I guess, it's all booze, you know. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's all the same thing. It's just our attitudes and prejudices towards it that make us think of it in different ways. So ask yourself that when you're trying to determine whether something is erotic or porn. My main thing is, why do you need there to be a difference? And one last question. Uh, okay. How can women be made comfortable with the idea of a man looking at it without feeling like he's trying to replace her and maybe even partake in it? Okay, well, that's a good question. I think it's always going to be a matter of each woman's personal comfort level and taste. And some women will just never like porn, period, you know, for herself, for you, for the world, <laughs> for any of those three. This is something you're just going to have to find out about pretty early on if you want porn to be a part of your life. And how you bring up the idea of watching porn or your porn habit or watching it together or whatever it's not something I can really give you too much advice on. It's going to be a matter of respecting your partner and determining how she might like to be approached with this. You could try introducing her to audio porn here first. See if she likes it a little more than standard porn. But I will say that there are some things you should definitely not do. <laughs> and maybe that's more useful. So number one, do not hide it. If you hide your porn habit or hobby or whatever you want to call it from her and she finds out she will feel that it is much worse than it is or that you feel like it's cheating or whatever you have to be completely okay with her seeing or knowing about whatever you enjoy if you ever hope to have her blessing and maybe her participation so don't make it a dirty little secret okay it's also a good idea to be upfront with her as soon as you can in your relationship. Don't spring this idea on her in year five of your marriage and expect her to be completely okay with it. <laughs> okay? Trust me. Number two, don't make it a big deal. I mean, always make sure that she knows that this is just one small addition to your sex life. 
that it is not a daily requirement of yours, you know, or that the relationship's over. I mean, if it is a daily requirement for you and she's not into it, you may need to find a new partner. That's just the way it is. Or she will, you know. But when you do introduce it to your lives, decide together how often and how much. And really think about that answer. I really think you should just make it a part of your sex life, not the whole thing. Number three, don't start with the craziest hardcore shit you can find. Okay? Bad, bad idea. I mean, maybe you've been watching porn for years and are totally desensitized to just how shocking some of the stuff out there is. Um, but if she hasn't been a porn consumer for years, she will likely be utterly shocked and possibly even really upset by what passes for typical porn these days. So go slow, you know, ease into it. Gauge her reaction and talk about it as you go. Um, in, in a way, it's kind of like the erotic audio here. A lot of people who are newcomers who are coming on board for the first time and giving us their verifications or their first audios, they all express complete nervousness. Even just doing a verification makes them nervous. And for a lot of performers who have been here for a long time, we sympathize with them, but we think, hey, it's no big deal. You're just saying your name and the date. What's the problem? You know, Because we are completely desensitized to having our voices out there just doesn't mean much to us at all anymore, at all. But to somebody who hasn't done this before, it can be a very frightening, nerve-wracking type of thing. So always keep that in mind about somebody that maybe hasn't consumed as much porn as you have. Number four. Oh, okay, this is important. Really, really fucking important. Don't ever compare her unfavorably to the women in the video. Ever. Ever, ever. Ever. Okay? Rewind this and listen to this again. Don't ever compare her unfavorably to the women in the video. <laughs> Don't ever say, I wish you had boobs like that. Or, I wish you had mass like that. Ever. Don't ever say it. You would be surprised how many men lose their minds over this and blurt out these kinds of things. Mostly because, again, they have become so desensitized to porn that they think judging body parts is a normal activity for a man whenever he's around any woman, you know? And and no, saying, but honey, I wish I had a 12-inch dick, it doesn't upset me, doesn't make it better. It really doesn't. You are not a woman. You have not grown up in a society that constantly and relentlessly berates women for their shortcomings in the area of physical beauty. So comparisons and judgments hurt us exponentially more than they hurt you. So don't do it, okay? And related to this, number five, don't start off with, oh, it would be so cool if we could do that, when you see something you like. Just enjoy watching it with her at first. Don't make her think that you've just been waiting to spring this whole, can I watch from the closet while my brother fucks you, kind of thing on her for years now. Don't make her think that. It may be really tempting to want to recreate scenes that have made you hot, but I would say, <laughs> certainly at first, limit it to positions you see, not situations. Don't immediately ask her to have a threesome with the hot girl from work. Don't assume, just because all women in porn are bisexual, that your girl is too, okay? You can certainly ask her about it later. She might be totally into it. That could be completely fine with her, but don't assume it just because you see it in porn. And finally, number six, if she says no, 
don't push. Don't make her feel bad. Don't act like there's something wrong with her. <laughs> Respect her boundaries and work with them. You know, don't ever put porn ahead of your relationship with a real live woman. Sometimes, over time, if you talk about it with enough respect and love and consideration, sometimes a partner who isn't into something can come around and be willing to try it. And it's worth the conversation if it's, if it's worth something to you, if it's something you really want. But you can't achieve anything if you push or if you make your partner feel like there's something wrong with them for not wanting something. That's not going to get you anywhere. Okay, so that's it. I believe I've actually covered, I've actually covered the subject of porn. Wow. Okay, so I never want to talk about porn again. I want to make it. So I'm going to go off and make some porn now, or some erotica, or some audio. Thank you for listening, really. I love your comments. I love your questions. I would love to keep making these. This is really fun for me. It helps me clarify my ideas sometimes and really helps me connect with people. So um, thank you so much for everything you guys say and do and all of your support. It really means so much to me. So stay sexy and hopefully I'll be back again soon and send me your questions if you want me to do um, future audios on a particular subject. Bye.